Welcome to your Optimal Personal Economy podcast with Justin Bennett. Your personal economy is your ability to create, protect, preserve, and utilize your wealth, your financial world. Justin will share strategies and stories to help you optimize your personal economy. Now, on to the show with Justin Bennett and co-host Matt Halloran. Hello and welcome to episode number four, Investments Make Bad Insurance and Insurance Makes Bad Investments with Justin Bennett. Now, Justin, this is something that I've heard working with financial services professionals for an incredibly long time, that there is a substantial amount of misinformation and a lot of competition for dollars when it comes to what people should be investing in. So help me understand, one, the title, and two, how do you feel about all of this? I think, you know, as silly as it may sound, but believe it or not, and we'll be able to uh, support this, but insurance and investments are actually friends. They don't have to be in this position where they're always fighting over who's going to get the money. And so they actually play pretty nicely in the sandbox together when, you know, you take a step back and you really understand how the two can work together in an overall optimal personal economy. So, you know, I think that there's just been this ongoing conversation. When I say ongoing, I'm saying, you know, maybe even a hundred plus years Mm -hmm. that uh, people feel as though they should, you know, put money at risk, most or all of their money at risk into some sort of investment and secure some sort of term life insurance, which by contract design will, will terminate typically when they get to their end game, which is roughly when they're looking to transfer into a wealth distribution phase from a mm-hmm. wealth creation phase. So I think there's been that ongoing conversation, which is is so fundamentally flawed in many cases that, you know, you really need to ask that, ask yourself if, if people were following that type of an approach and they had this challenge between, you know, insurance and investments and one's fighting for the same money or they're both fighting for the same money and they're going to arrive at their end game and they're going to have, you know, a few million dollars of investments and no insurance. How is that going to set them up for the next 30 years of their life? I think that it becomes a really, really uh, challenging conversation and topic, but I think we're, we're up for it. We want to continue to educate people. And so we'll, uh, we'll continue to take a deep dive here, Matt, into um, you know, how insurance and investments are actually friends. And I know that you had some questions for me around this. So I'll, I'll, uh, I, I do. Yeah. And Justin, that that's the kicker, right? Is we do need to have a, a conversation about this. And not only do we want to have this conversation, you and I together today on this podcast, but having this conversation with a professional who truly understands that when they are strategically designed investments and insurance really do work together. So together. So let's, let's talk about that. Do you mind breaking down a little bit of the design or or do we need to go a little bit simpler than that first? Yeah, we'll dive in. I mean, you know, you so commonly hear uh, that insurance makes a bad investment and the conversation or the statement or the bias or the opinion usually stops right there. But what what's often not disclosed is that investments make bad insurance. Mm-hmm. So so so, you know, you know, if you're going to if you're going to make that if you're going to make that point that insurance makes bad investments, then you have to finish the thought with, you know, investments make bad insurance. But, you know, if you have them together, strategically positioned on your balance sheet, 
in a optimal personal economy, they can work really, really well in the sense that, you know, it's, it's always the case that, um, you know, in investments you want to have for the years that you're working and building and accumulating wealth mm-hmm. and people, you know, typically have, you know, insurance for those years. And then when they, you know, get to this end game, they're like, Hey, you know what? I want to, I want to keep my investments, but my insurance is going to go away. And so that's fine if that's what somebody, you know, wants to do. But I think people just don't have the right education around what the consequences are that follow that decision. That decision is often, as you indicated, Matt, promoted by the financial institutions, which control the media, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, for example, let's just jump right into the term life insurance versus permanent life insurance conversation. Good, good. And, You know, I mean, you know, term life insurance, statistically speaking, not my opinion, not your opinion, not anybody's opinion, but statistically speaking, uh, you know, almost 99% of the time does not result in a claim. Now, that's mm-hmm. good news to the families and the businesses of, of, uh, of the American, you know, population. It's also really good news for the insurance companies, right? Because they're collecting premium in the form of term insurance and paying paying out no claims. So, to me, it would seem like it's it's a pretty big money maker for the insurance companies. Where, you know, if you have whole life insurance, permanent insurance that doesn't ever go away it's going to be insurance that's in place when you go to, you know, expire. Mm-hmm. And so therefore your families or the businesses will always win out on the permanent insurance side. And, you know, when you think about it, it's almost like you build up the investments, the term life insurance drops off the books and now you got 4 million bucks in the bank and you could live on the interest of that money. And so, you know, you take a safe withdrawal rate, which right now the conversation, should it be 3%, should it be 4%, that's per the American College, is, is debating that, looking at sequence of returned risk. And I know we're throwing out a whole bunch of stuff here, but just bringing it back to most mm-hmm. simplistic, you know, format, if somebody takes, uh, you know, a safe withdrawal rate of living on the interest of their assets, and they never spend the investment value, and they exit this planet at some point well into their future in their 80s or their 90s, then the value of the investments inherently pass on to spouse or children in the form of life insurance. It's just not called life insurance, right? Mm -hmm. It's a legacy. Please define a little bit more clearly the difference between term life insurance and whole life insurance, permanent life insurance, because the the actual definitions, I think, could make people open their eyes to understand what each of these products do and how they can actually benefit the purchaser. Good point. So we typically are very clear in kind of bifurcating term insurance and permanent insurance. So on the term insurance side, it's very, very commonly designed where you'll have it in force for 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years. And after that period of time, by contract design, the life insurance goes away. Mm -hmm. So if somebody secures several million dollars of life insurance in the form of term insurance for whatever period of time, 10, 20, or 30 years, it will protect that family or that business for that period of time. It will also terminate. It will fall off the books. It will go away after that period of time. And whatever dollars were laid out to secure that term insurance will also never be recaptured or recouped into the future. Right. So- it's very much like renting a home mm-hmm. in that, you know, you're going to have a, a uh, you know, a, a very specific need, but ultimately you're not going to have, you know, an offshoot of that by way of building wealth and building equity and then ultimately having it to be able to use, 
you know, in conjunction with your investment. So that's term life insurance, Matt. Permanent insurance, uh, you know, does come in, I would like to say, four different flavors. Okay. Um, the one that's been around for the longest, it's north of 200 years, is called whole life insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, then what happened in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, when interest rates were super high, the life insurance companies were getting really smart, and they said, hey, we can engineer and manufacture an interest rate sensitive permanent life insurance chassis called universal life insurance. And because interest rates are so high, you look at an illustration and you look at over the next 20, 30 years, and you can see all this projected money and you can, you can secure protection for a very little outlay, but it'll still be permanent and everything will be great. And then, you know, what's happened obviously since then is interest rates have come down. So boom, you got the first black eye to the life insurance business. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Insurance companies were starting to get savvy and said, well, we need to try to save face a little bit. So what we'll do is we'll then introduce this thing called variable universal life insurance, which is tied to the stock market. So the stock market's booming. So even though we're in a low interest rate environment, uh, people can have permanent life insurance that's tied to the stock market. So what ends up happening is, you know, the stock market uh, suffered a few corrections, specifically the dot com and then the mm-hmm. financial crisis. So. Mm-hmm. What, what ended up happening, you had low interest rates, you had, you know, two big market corrections. And so what was initially looked at from a projection standpoint, you know, didn't see the results. And so now, you know, there's the second black eye to the life insurance business. And then you said, okay, well, now what should we do? Life insurance companies got together, so to speak. And they said, okay, what can we do to try to save face here? So they've since introduced what's, what's referred to as indexed universal life insurance, which you know, is a, another flavor of permanent insurance, uh, although it's a very, very complex chassis. There's many, many moving parts. It requires a tremendous amount of attention ongoing. And, you know, frankly, I think that not enough time has gone by since the inception or the introduction of Index Universal Life Insurance for the marketplace to really understand and feel what could come with, uh, you know, a long-term horizon forward-looking. So, you know, permanent insurance, just to recap, you have whole life, you have universal life, you have variable life, and then you have indexed universal life. And, uh, you know, so, so we try to educate clients up front uh, around those four different flavors. And then, you know, they can determine how much risk they want to assume mm-hmm. and how much risk they want to transfer to the insurance company. Because that's, really that's really what the conversation comes down to, right, Matt? It's how much, how much risk do you want to assume and how much do you want to transfer? And a lot of times, you know, people like to take on risk in their investments and not take on risk in their insurance. The, you're transferring risk to the insurance company. Are you transferring risk to the stock market? Uh, so, yes. I mean, the investments, right? So coming back to this this podcast episode, which is investments and insurance, uh, investments typically would inherit some sort of volatility. So you can go up in value. You could go down in value. Mm-hmm. Uh but ultimately, you know, investments are just that. They're longer term viewed, they're growth oriented, uh, they're not going to be the only thing on your balance sheet in your economy, because if that was the case, then I think what you'll find is the results that will come with that are going to, you know, not be in line with what you wanted. But yes, whether it be a mutual fund, a stock, an ETF, uh, you know, some levels of bond, you're going to have some sort of inherent risk. And so uh, risk, though, is 
an okay thing when it's when it's taken sure. into consideration in the context of an overall personal economy, um, as opposed to just saying, hey, I want to have these uh, you know blinders on and I want to take all my old money and 100% of my new money going forward and I want to just drive it into the stock market and and uh, find out one day that I you know suffer a big correction. And that correction might be, you know, a year or two before I get to retirement or pay for my kids college or go to pay off my house or whatever the big life event may be. One of the other pieces that I've heard is that insurance is especially permanent insurance is very expensive. How do you address that? Let's let's start that conversation by defining the word cost. Mm. Right. So cost is earmarking a dollar today. And then never being able to use that dollar in the future for another purpose. Fair. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what we try to do is make sure that we help clients understand what cost is defined as and what that means and allow for them to see that that's different than outlay. An outlay would be if I earmark a dollar today for a certain purpose today and in the future. I'm going to be able to use that same dollar, maybe with some interest, depending upon how it's positioned and what type of life insurance and or investment. Does it really then become a costly proposition or does it become more of a strategic kind of a approach to personal economy and planning and money? You know, so we, we try to say, hey, there's a cost and then there's an outlay, right? An outlay mm-hmm. is using money today for a certain purpose to then be able to use it again in the future for another purpose. So that's where I you know try to make it really, really clear that there's, um, you know, although people are building wealth with families and businesses and they're trying to get to some future point and they make decisions around insurance and investments and they deploy new dollars into insurance and investments at some point in the future, that money, whether it be in the form of investments and or insurance, it can be repurposed. Meaning, uh, you know, if you have growth investments over a period of time that you're working and accumulating wealth, you're doing just that. You're trying to grow them. You're trying to accumulate them. You're trying to have them go up in time. When you ultimately go to, you know, move into the the distribution phase, that same money has to be repurposed to create income. Mm -hmm. So what you do with that, with those dollars may be slightly different than what you did with those dollars when you were accumulating it. So, we feel the same thing is true with insurance. So insurance, when you're building wealth and you're building families and businesses, you may have that conventional uh, protection purpose. But ultimately, if you had permanent insurance, specifically whole life insurance on your balance sheet that was not subject to volatility of the stock market and or volatility of interest rates, and you can now utilize the whole life insurance as a wealth replacement tool in a strategic manner that would ultimately allow for you to spend your investments and then have the whole life insurance refill the investments. Let's talk about solutions here. You presented a very, very good case that, that investments make bad insurance, insurance makes bad investments. And you've given us a, a very good overview and a good education about how uh, these these insurance products specifically work. But how do you use these now? So you just you kind of uh, touched on that, right, with with this overall idea of the refill. 
let's let's break this down a little bit more. So give us some key solutions and some good things for our listeners to think about, because I want everybody to know we're going to dive into this a lot more deeply because there's an enormous amount of misinformation out there. So, Justin, tell me what where, where are you at with this? Yeah, I think I think, Matt, it starts with there has to be some grounded root knowledge that's based on facts that would give the client, the general public clarity to be able to make proper money decisions that will produce results that are in line with their objectives. So they have to have proper grounded root knowledge. They got to get rid of this opinion, this media hype, misinformation, all this marketing rubbish. They got to get rid of that. They got to get through that, right? So they got to like get right down to the grounded root knowledge of, you know, how these various money decisions work independently, but then more critically how they work together. They have to secure what we call replacement value uh, in the form of life insurance. And, you know, initially it might be a combination of convertible term insurance with some whole life. Mm -hmm. And over the course of time, they'll be able to convert the term insurance to whole life so that they ultimately have all whole life and no term insurance. Mm -hmm. They need to make sure that they're using a professional. They're not doing it on their own, but they're using a professional who can really help them determine appropriate growth investments uh, while they're in this wealth creation phase. They need to make sure that that person is somebody that they can work closely with, they can trust, they can understand that they always have the client's best interest in mind no matter what. And again, that too comes from a grounded root knowledge and an educational perspective of helping people learn how investments work. and then we have this, what we call one-to-one ratio, $1 in the form of an investment equal to $1 in the form of a whole life insurance benefit. We can you know, constantly check in during the wealth creation phase to see if we're moving in that direction uh, or not, because if we're not, we might need to make some adjustments and some, make some changes along the way. But you know, we also want to make sure that when we arrive at the end game and there is that close to or exactly that one-to-one ratio that we're striving for, we're the a big solution, a big solution is to be able to take 100% of the investment bucket, mm-hmm. right? Whether it be 401ks, IRAs, non-retirement money, real estate, or any investment that somebody may have. And we want to be able to allow for them to spend and enjoy a hundred percent of the value of that investment bucket, mm-hmm. not just the interest on that investment bucket. So a big solution is being able to help clients, helping able, being able to help people spend down their investments, principal and interest, knowing that they have a whole life insurance policy that sits right behind it. That's going to just ultimately refill that money and do it to your point in a very, very tax efficient manner. And that's going to be a very, very important solution. So I think, you know, that's that's the the whole life insurance becoming the asset insurance Mm. right in the distribution phase and not really behaving like life insurance is just protecting the money that you can spend and enjoy, which is your investment money. You know, Justin, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. And this was episode four. Investments make bad insurance and insurance make bad investments. Registered representative of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. 
1150 Raritan Road, Cranford, New Jersey, 07016. Securities, products, and services offered through PAS, a registered broker-dealer. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Bennett Financial Group, LLC, is not affiliated with Guardian. PAS is a member of FINRA and SIPA. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Bennett Financial, and opinions stated are their own.